welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. I am delighted to be sitting across from Eric Thomas today, or our Eric Thomas, if you're searching for him on, on the web. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm like, like I said, I'm so starstruck to be here. I love this podcast. Stop. Thank you. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read your bio to you. Um, <laughs> Eric is a senior staff writer at Elle Online, where he's written the daily pop culture and politics humor column, Eric Reads the News, since 2016. As a playwright, his work has been staged around the country. Off the page, he's the long-running host of the Moth Story Slams in D.C. and Philly. He lives in Baltimore with his husband, the Reverend David Norse Thomas. Here for it is his first book. Yes, indeed. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Congrats. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I love I love hearing the bio because it sounds like somebody that I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're intimately connected, but... Yeah, I'm like, oh, he sounds cool. but he does uh, sound cool. But also overrated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but how do... You started telling stories by literally telling stories, I yeah. assume. Yeah, and that's like that's really the DNA of the book. Um, I don't think the book would um, – well, the book as it stands would not be possible without like a long um, career in um, live storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and for a while, I was like calling myself like a professional storyteller, which is absolutely a thing that some yeah. people do. Um, and I just sort of like – dubbed myself that. I was like, now I'm a professional because I got a 1099, which I guess is what professionalism is. I think that's is. Yeah. all that you need. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like, I just I saw an ad in the Philadelphia City paper probably 10 years ago, maybe more, for a story slam, much like the Moth does, mm -hmm. or you know, there's various organizations. This was for an organization called First Person Arts. And the, every story slam had a theme, and this theme was miseducation. And um, I just went in and told this story about meeting a drag queen named Miss Education uh, after <laughs> dropping out of college. Um, and it was like, if I like didn't even include any of this in the book because I was like, this feels too perfect. But in that moment, I was like, whatever, this sounds great. <laughs> um, and I was shocked. I was shocked that people were like interested in what I had to say. Um, I had a long, uh, I had a long high school and and. Um, middle school career of attempting to be a child star, like an actor. Of course, yeah. Uh, you know, like any normal person. And you have lots of good musical theater references in your book. And... I, I mean, I love musical theater. And that failing that, I thought, okay, well, there's no forward-facing position for me. Here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and so storytelling opened up, you know, touched that same sort of like, you know, megalomania. Um, <laughs> but also that desire to be part of this kind of like, this live magic. Um, yeah. And so being able to like tell stories and figure out where people's energy sort of peaked and, and, and ebbed um, as a, in real time was really educational to me um, mm. and, um, and really helped to guide me toward the essays that um, I think, you know, they're not written to be performed. Um, right, right, But right. I do feel like there is the energy, I hope that the energy within them uh, has this is the same as if we were uh, in a, like a little club and I was standing on stage like trying to remember the words that I'd written. <laughs> Give me an example of um, something that started out as a story but is now an essay in oh. your book. So um, I think probably the 
the most direct example is the um, story Ball So Soft um, about being uh, when I, I joined a gay softball league um, to, like most people do, to increase uh, my masculinity. Sure. Um, yeah, that was my solution. <laughs> and uh, it turns out I was um, too gay for the gay <laughs> softball league, um, which is something I'm still working through in therapy. Um, and so it was. It started off as just a like, sort of short little story that um, um, I told like at Slams, like a five minute long story um, that wasn't, I didn't really realize what it was about. It was mostly um, the the sort of climax of the story comes uh, in, in the early stage version when I um, have to go to this like training day. Um, it's, like, <laughs> it's like remedial <laughs> softball. Yes. For gay people, exactly. It was it, yeah. That's exactly remedial <laughs> softball for gay people. Is <laughs> exactly what it was. Um, I went to summer school, uh, summer softball school in the summer, um, and so it was sort of climax there. And I didn't really know what to do with it, you mm-hmm. know. And it was like a funny story. It was kind of closer to stand up, uh, I guess. Um, and then I put it into a uh, one man show that I was doing, um, and it it spread out to to maybe like 12, 13 minutes. Um, and that was just about, it was about uh, masculinity mm-hmm. and, and um, finding my place. Um, and I thought, <laughs> because I can be lazy sometimes, um, when I started working on the book, I was like, well, I'll just take the text <laughs> from the one-man show, throw it in here, right. nobody will know. Boom. <laughs> Big bang boom. <laughs> Stage directions and everything. Nobody at Random House will know. Um and uh, but it, it actually, after realizing that like I have changed as a writer, it had mm-hmm, been mm-hmm. you know seven years since that show, uh, maybe five. Um, that uh, I I wanted to give it a little bit more of a, a backbone, um, and I wanted to figure out how it could weave itself into the larger fabric of the story that I was telling. Yeah. Tell, I mean, so let's let's step back a little bit and talk about your memoir is very much an essay collection about figuring out who you are mm-hmm. and being comfortable with who you are. Yeah. And that, that was a process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you choose the moments from your life that, that make the meat of the book and uh, are the examples, say? I think half the moments – I feel like that's a really interesting question. I think half the moments started off as these um, – as moments that I felt were really ripe for either comedy or mm-hmm. ripe for tragedy that didn't feel unresolved. Um, there are plenty of things in this book or plenty of things that I would never even consider putting in this book. Um, mm. um, and – uh, for a little bit of time, I was like, well, am I not a brave enough writer? Like, should I just open up a vein? And I don't know. I mean, like, my, my husband's a pastor, and right. he has this uh, – he learned from a, another a colleague years ago, um, um, you know, they use a lot of personal reflections in their sermons. Yes. But the colleague said, like, don't bleed all over the congregation, <laughs> um, which is graphic. Um, but, like – That makes sense. It is sort of – that's – that's his way of thinking, you know, if he hasn't resolved it um, or if it's something that is too messy, mm-hmm. then um, it doesn't go out to the, the larger body. Anyway, 
Um, yeah, so I just look for moments of like of of peak drama, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then I ask myself, like, do these belong in this arc? Um, and is this and what is it really about? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just I set out honestly to tell a bunch of really good stories, um, and that from from that sprang the collection, um, which. Maybe it's backwards. I don't know how other people write books. Um, I listen to, you know, these kinds of podcasts all the time, and I'm like, that sounds like magic. I, <laughs> I don't know. I think no one knows. <laughs> I think if this is episode, I don't know, 40, everyone's kind of just like, I winged it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, in like the 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 collection is essentially chronological, Um and that was a large discussion with Sarah Weiss um, mm-hmm. and Elena Steplo, uh Jolie at um, Ballantyne, um, my editor um, um, and her assistant. Um, and I really sort of pushed back initially or resisted initially making the collection chronological because I I was very afraid of the term memoir and essays or memoir in general Mm -hmm. because I felt like I had to justify why somebody should care about what happened in my life, you know? Like I think about, you know, and I read memoir all the time and I know that like a lot of, it's people's stories, lives, you know? And if you tell it well, which you do, then people will want to read it. And That's a plug for your book right here. Thank you very much. (laughs) I like I didn't get it and I would like I would talk about it in therapy like every week and my therapist Brian God bless him I love him so much he's the first person you thanked in your acknowledgements yeah well the first person's Beyonce um uh, well, Beyonce and your therapist those yeah. are like okay, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love that you read the acknowledgements too. I mean that's my favorite part I really sure. enjoy <laughs> enjoy the, the acknowledgements as well and I was like is this a weird thing but Mm-mm. I don't know I Mm-mm. liked it no it's very good um but you do so like most of the collection i would say is chronological but mm-hmm. then you then you have a couple of um things at the end that are about your past and mm-hmm. um and then you end with like a kind of uh a little play yeah i can't believe they let me publish that <laughs> I, I, I honestly cannot. i was like i'm going to write a little 10 minute play as an epilogue and uh, they're going to arrest me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they let me put it in. And I, I wanted to – I wanted to – I'm very interested in time travel, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very interested in the future. And I, I – the act of writing a book to me is uh, an act of, like, faith in the future. Um, because when I think of why, you know, why write a book, like, right. my only – you know, I want to be in community with people as I, like, read it and people, people like, send me emails or, you know, whatever happens when you write a book. You know, you get canceled. I don't know what happens. Um, <laughs> I promise you. Well, I can't promise you that. But, like, <laughs> I don't think you're going to get canceled. I hope not. Um, but I also thought about the way that I discovered books for much of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in libraries. Um, yeah. And also the Scholastic Book Fair. Um, but mostly in libraries. And so I thought this thing is going to live in this universe mm-hmm. um, for uh, for a long time, hopefully. And so then to believe that that's true and to think that that's worth it, then I have to believe that the future exists and that libraries exist and that mm-hmm. we are still here. Um, and so I wanted to tempt fate by writing a little play in which I got to 
speak to both people who I was in the past um, and people who I have yet to be. Um, And it is, it's, you know, it's not my favorite part of the book, but it is a part that brings me such exquisite joy um, because it feels foolhardy, you know. (laughs) Um, I've written myself as like a a 70-year-old and uh, I think 75 and, and yeah. then, and then, like an ancient person, um, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, it's gonna be real ironic if I die before I am the, the, the me in the book," you know. But also, it's sort of like I, you have to believe in some version of yourself in the future. Yeah. Otherwise, what are we? Why are you getting out of bed? Why are you doing any of the things that you do? And so that's the version of myself that I've chosen to believe in. Um, and I think that I must implicitly have believed in this version of myself now mm. in the past, even though if you asked him, he right. absolutely would not have told you that. Um, but there's a reason that I'm still alive. Um, and it wasn't a guarantee for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to carry that energy forward um, and not just have it be I work through some tough things and uh, and life is fine. You know, I got a 401k. Right. Um I wanted to got better. Boom. I got better. It's problem solved. You know. Yeah. I wanted to acknowledge that you know there's this process and there's this continuum and there's so much mystery. Um, and I'm not afraid of that mystery. So. I love that. And you even tell about tell some of the um, worst moments in your life mm-hmm. with with so much generosity. Like one mm. of the things that really stuck out uh, for me is that. You at one point described describe a fucked up incident from your childhood in school, and you use pseudonyms, mm-hmm. and you decided to use pseudonyms that are fun because mm-hmm. why wouldn't you? Right. I mean, well, here I I didn't come to settle a score, you know. Yeah. Um, I thought about it, <laughs> but I also wanted. <laughs> The thing it, later on in that essay, I talk about how um, you know it, it's an essay about um, well, one of the features is is a, a classmate uh, calls me the N word, and um, I um, I ultimately get to the point in the essay where I am not my reaction and my experience isn't like sort of being put on trial, and that incident isn't being used to define me, and that mm-hmm. was really sort of huge for me and both sort of like textually and like psychologically. Right. And so if this is my story, um, then it's not just, it's not the N-word story. It's not the time that I realized that I would never always be uh, some other class. Um, It's a story that I am using to illustrate some point about me. And so therefore the, I I want to I want to be in delight, and so the the names that I give to these kids, you know, I think Prentice and um, oh god, and Dora, Dora, oh my gosh, yes, I Prentice like, and Dora, why, right. why wouldn't you? Right, I was like, look, who, who cares? Are they bad guys? Are they good guys? No, there's no antagonist here. Like, who cares? <laughs> who cares? I'm the person I'm trying to investigate. It's um, your narrative. It's my narrative. You control it, right? And that's like you know, you name the characters. I name the characters, and I say when it's over. Yeah. Um, and one of the things with with the editing of that piece also, there was – I don't know if it mattered. Well, I mean it's true. It is what happened. Um, there was this sort of flash forward um, to later on in the in the year um, uh, of this moment of sort of like um, religious connection uh, between me and that, that kid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were both like – there was like an emergency situation that happened at school and we both sort of like took – 
to this little courtyard and started praying, and we were of different faiths, and um, it felt, you know, it felt like it meant something. Um, but I think it meant something like narratively, if I was trying to tell a story about, you know, so trying to write Green Book, um, <laughs> but it wasn't something that it was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't actually something that continued my journey. And right. so it was smart of, you know, um, uh, my team to say, this is probably not part of the story. So they really helped me to sort of excavate that, too. Do you think your impulse was to put a bow on it, kind of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, and some of the best advice I got was, you know, you don't have to, like, on stage, you sort of want to make sure that people right. are leaving it with a You feeling. want a resolution. Right. Um, and they were like, you, this is not... This is not a stage um, performance, so you don't have to toss the penny in the air, catch it, and then put it in your pocket. You know? <laughs> and I was like, where's the penny? Like, I got all these pennies in the air. <laughs> it could just be in your mind. I suppose so. <laughs> so that was freeing and terrifying because um, I, love, I love conclusion. And, but it was also um, – it was great to acknowledge that, like, uh, none of these things are going to be – Resolved, you know, right. like I'm talking about otherness um, and, and otherness and identity. And so my identity will continue to change. And like as much as I say I'm the center of my own narrative and as many books as I put out, there are definitely forces in the world that will say, mm, you're on the sidelines. Um, yeah. You are an alternative. You're an other. Um, and so I don't have – that's not my job to catch the penny. And I think that's that's a relief but also – you know, it, that's more of an intellectual thing, you know. Well, it's harder to put in practice, I should say. Sure. You know, in your own life, you know? Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the first time you went viral. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> My mother called me while I was writing this, and she was like, are you going to put the thing with the newspaper in? Um, and I was like, yeah, I think so. It's a good story. She's like, you should, because if they discover it, if they Google you and discover it, <laughs> then you'll be canceled. You'll be canceled. Oh, and it, she's my, my mother. She's wonderful, but she's also very afraid that I'm going to be canceled. Um, <laughs> so the sh short version of it is that um, – I wrote an op-ed, a uh, satirical op-ed about Black History Month in my uh, at the at the school newspaper for University of Maryland, Baltimore County, um, and it took this it took the satirical point of view that Black History Month is not important um, and that we spend too much time talking about Black history, um, and I don't believe that to be true. Um, <laughs> That's what satire? That's what satire okay. is. But I didn't really understand satire. <laughs> <laughs> um, and further, I didn't know anyone on campus per se, and uh, there were no pictures accompanying the uh, author pictures accompanying the the article, so people took it seriously. Yeah, and thought that there was a white supremacist who was just like <laughs> mouthing off in print. And uh, this was in the you know 2002, so it's the early days of the internet. But it got passed around um, on the listserv, a number of listservs, but including on the listserv for the National Association of Black Journalists. Um, and uh, I had like over a thousand emails in my inbox by the end of the weekend after it was published. Um, so it, it was – I continued 
we were so young and yeah. dumb, um, yeah. all of us on the newspaper. And we were like, this is so wild. It's so <laughs> funny. We had a party. Um, and, um, we, like, I composed, oh, God, ugh, I shouldn't say this. Who cares? I, we, like, we're like, let's do a drinking game when you read your hate mail, and then we drink after every, and, like, I read, like, two emails, and I was like, this is sad. I, there's nothing to drink about. Like, it was, like, because people hated me, um, and for good reason. Um, they thought, they thought that I was saying the thing that we hear all the time, right. you know, right, all of right. us about our identities and about our personal histories. Um, so what's funny about that? So I, I had to learn, <laughs> I had to learn um, in many different ways, in many hard ways, that I think it's powerful to be able to joke about the things that hurt me and that scare me. But I have to make sure that when I'm joking, that I am not causing further harm. Yeah, I mean, but I, I think also... Do you think now the internet is more, at least the 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 media internet mm-hmm. is more attuned to the satirical tone? Like, I think so. Although, um, just a couple weeks ago, gosh, I'm going to not remember any of the details. Um, but there was a woman satirist who I think she writes as this uh, sort of southern. Um, anti-feminist woman character. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Okay, yeah. And, like, I wasn't familiar with her work, but I think there were, like, snatches. There was one essay that went viral, and she was talking about, um, uh, oh, not wanting her, oh, not wanting Alexa in her house. That's what it was. Yes. Um, because she doesn't want any other woman in her house, which I think, like, <laughs> is a funny premise to, like, if you – if you're doing it right. And I didn't I didn't read the piece, um, but I saw the conversation go from like, we're taking this woman seriously to is she joking to, well, she's a humorist, so she's probably joking to this is bad humor, you know? Right. Um, and so I do feel like the internet is like this contextless space. Yes. So anything you say, it, it feels like that moment, I don't know, like I guess maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when celebrities first started realizing that they could be taken out of context, <laughs> right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, I just – I was saying another thing. And we're like, we don't care. <laughs> we're mad. And now we're all that person. We're all that person all the time. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, you put a lot of content out into the world. You tweet all the time and, and you've got this podcast and you're, you're writing um, – are you – do you think about, like, how do I – how do I cancel-proof, you know, the things that I'm saying? Are you constantly thinking about I am definitely constantly thinking about it. Are you really? Yeah. Okay. What do you do? I, there's nothing really I can do except try to be a good person and not <laughs> fuck up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And try to be generous mm-hmm. and uh, – but, you know – it could right. happen at any moment to any of us. I well, I mean, yeah, forever. <laughs> yeah, which is wild to me. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, yeah, I don't have another solution beyond that either. I just, so I, when writing humor, I'm, I'm always sort of aware that there is an implicit danger. You know, there's the top implicit danger of humor, which is someone saying that's not funny and you shouldn't say it. Um, right, which. Sometimes you have to say, well, okay, we disagree. Yes. You know, um, I don't do stand-up um, for various reasons, uh, mostly re- involving my inability to remember things. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, I worked as a, a waiter in a stand-up comedy club uh, for years after college, and it was such a great education to me. Mm. Um, just uh, one, being able to respond to an audience, um, and two, looking at the way that people respond when they're getting pushback. Um, right. And when someone is saying, I don't like that, um, and learning how to receive that information. Yeah. And then... Um, figure out whether that information is applicable to you or yeah. not. Um, Are you going to take that critique? Right. Yeah. And I think about that with the internet a lot because, you know, I, depending on what I write about, I'll get, you know, any number of wild tweets. Um, and the impulse is always to sort of say, like, dunk, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, um, take your MAGA hat elsewhere or whatever. But I think... That doesn't make me feel any better, you know? Right. I think I would prefer to be able to say, okay, well, where are we two humans talking or are you just trying to score a point on me? And then if that's the case, then I don't need to play this game with you. No. Right? Um, yeah, I, that's that's a question for me, especially online, is do I respond? Mm-hmm. Is there any use in me respond am i gonna make the conversation any better right any more clear by Mm -hmm. responding yeah yeah um one thing that i talk about a lot but that is in your book and worth mentioning is that yes um your column is hilarious thank you um Things would have been so much more funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know exactly. Yes. Had nine had a nineteen. That was good. <laughs> had twenty sixteen gone a different way. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I you know, I started the column in the right right after the DNC. Um uh, right before the DNC. Right. Um which you covered for for L. yeah um and that was my first sort of experience with like viral uh column experience yes. um and but i honestly thought that i would be writing uh, like one or two columns a month that featured like hillary clinton as this hermione granger type figure <laughs> and like tim kane um showing off his like uh his uh exchange trip spanish skills um <laughs> And and then I'd cover all the other things. Yeah. Because before, I was not – it wasn't a politics-forward column. Um, it was – if I was writing about Obama, it was about his bromance with Joe Biden. Yes. Um, or, you know, he sang at um, Malia's birthday party. I think that was the first column I wrote. Um, and it was embarrassing. Um, but I was also writing about, like – Beyonce and Rihanna right. and like random things that happen in celebrity world, which I still do. Yeah, you do. Um, but people, it, the election changed the energy around everything, obviously. You yeah, know? I think it's, I mean, again, I've talked to a lot of writers at this point and I don't think it's not influenced anything's yeah. work. Yeah, you know? yeah. And which, you know, was, it's very weird to think about with this book because I didn't, you know, when I was doing, um, meetings about um, about the proposal, um, there were some people whose vision for the book was very much like in this resistance vein, like how mm-hmm. to... Um, hashtag, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yes. Hashtag resistance. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, again, I was like, okay, what library does this 
get pulled down from the shelf on in the future. Right, right, because right. I want to believe that I exist in a future that is post-Trump. Um, I also don't want to live in a future that it's like, oh, wasn't he kooky, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> can you imagine? Well, we can <laughs> because yes, we got yeah, yeah. the, the painter-in-chief. Um, the column has to become a different thing once – Trump takes office. Right. Yeah. He was impossible to ignore. I never wrote about him before the election. Like, I was like, man, he just he is not funny. I don't, I am doing something that's better and greater. Um, and now, you know, the receipts are out there. I've written, I write about him once, twice a week sometimes. Yeah. Um, which is, well, you know, it is, uh, I try not to treat him as a figure that is I'm making good fun of. It's not like it is if he does something that's unavoidable yeah. um, and also not cravenly evil, there is this like sliver of space that's like, look, people will click on this. People want to read a take on this. Um, I can do this in a way that feels responsible-ish. Mm -hmm. um, but – it's everything is political, which I've always believed, you know, like the personal is political, you know? Of course. It all is, mm -hmm. except it never kind of came together in this way before, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think people like to talk, contrarians like to talk now and say like, well, it's not, you know, you're putting your identity in this. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, I don't know what laws you're under, mm -hmm. but my identity is is the thing that the law is touching. Right. You know? Um, my identity is the thing that is either free or legislated to death. So um, I think it's it is weird to the, to be in this moment that is capital P politics, capital L legislation all the time. One because I feel like really out of my depth. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. learned. We've all so become much. political scientists <laughs> in the past four years. It's true. Um. But you still write about pop culture. I do. I do. Quite and a bit. And so tell me just a couple of the things that you're, you've recently been into, mm. watching. So um, I, my husband and I watched this show called The Expanse on Amazon. It's so good. It's based on a series of books um, by James S.A. Corey, which is a pseudonym for two other sci-fi sci um, writers. Um, and I have not read the series, but I got really into The Expanse okay. because we like we wanted something we could watch together. And David is not as voracious a pop culture consumer as I am. And so I wanted something that I wouldn't mind waiting for him. But I also was like, look, there's some things that I can't wait for you. Right. Um, but it's a, it's a space adventure. Um, but every season has a sort of different overarching theme. Like the last season was a Western in space. Oh, amazing. Um, and then the first season is like a, a noir. Um, and then there was one that's just like straight up sci-fi. One's like an alien horror. It's really great. Um, oh, I'm going to check that out. Please do. Um, right now I'm watching The Circle on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> which, I'm laughing already. <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare. It's like a dystope. It's like it's like a George Saunders yeah. uh, story. But – very enjoyable, and nothing bad happens so far. I have not yet seen the last couple oh, episodes. Oh, gosh, if they all die at the end, that Can would be terrible. Imagine? But I tell you, so, like, you know, these uh, contestants are locked in uh, these little studio apartments, and they uh, can only communicate with each other through a flat screen um, 
text-based chat system. Um, and they create profiles of their pictures, and some of them are catfishing. Um, and the goal is to be the most popular in whatever way. It's so dramatic um, <laughs> for people who are just screaming at the walls. But I also feel like it's a great approximation of what it's like to work from home. Um, right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I just am screaming at the walls, talking to myself, <laughs> and eating constantly, which they are also eating constantly. So I want to go on the circle season two. Amazing. I don't care about winning. I just want some time to like write snacks. And yeah, read. Writing. Yeah, like eat, <laughs> read, and like work on a novel. Um, and like I I'll love come, that. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'll come out the other side and be like, I don't think I won. I'm not sure. <laughs> But look at this manuscript. Oh, my gosh. That would be the hottest new writer's residency. Thank you. In the circle. I really think that we need to merge <laughs> We need to merge writing residencies and reality television. That's amazing. I mean, it's already so much drama. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and it's like it is if – if someone's going to pay for you to like have time isolated from people – why not have it be a production company as opposed to a foundation um, or a farm or whatever? And they get their footage and I get, again, my manuscript. I love it. Right? I love it, Eric. <laughs> We've solved a big problem today. I really do think it like, like you know, the idea of like who's paying for this. Well, if it's Magical Elves, the producers of um, uh, Project Runway, there we go. You know? <laughs> And and tell me, of course, what what books you've been reading. Um, so I reread um, Morgan Parker's uh, Magical Negro, honestly, like once a month, if not more than once a month. Oh, she's the best. She's the best. And she just got a National Book Critic Circle nomination. Yeah, yeah. Which and is I'm good so glad. Her. I'm so glad that she's getting recognized. I yeah. love her. I love. I love Magical Negro. I love the. Uh, there are things more beautiful than Beyonce. Beyonce. Oh yeah. Um, Jericho Brown's The Tradition I also really love. Yes. Um, I like to revisit poetry a lot because I'm not very skilled in that area. Um, and particularly poetry by um, black poets um, and, and queer poets because it helps me to create a vocabulary for things that I don't quite have vocabulary for. Mm, I love that. Um, uh, I also love um, I Know You Know Who I Am um, by Peter Kispert. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a book of short stories. All of the protagonists are um, – Queer people, um, and it plays with this um, the idea of lying, why we lie, why people believe our lies, why lying can be protective and, and or um, dangerous. Um, and I love it because he attacks lying from so many different cool angles. Ooh. It's not just like, you know, it's not like, oh, just like the one narrative, like, oh, you know, queer people sometimes lead double lives, and isn't that fascinating? It's like, okay, yes basic level (laughs) but like all of us are constantly choosing in every moment should i tell the truth should i lie should i tell the whole truth what is the truth oh it's so fabulous i I really really recommend it i love it thank you so much thank you so fun oh this is a pleasure thank you thank you for listening to the maris review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts